I'm Al Staheli, and you're listening to Life Minute TV. Lawyer by day, musician by night, Al Staley is the only person on the planet who has both played Carnegie Hall and provided legal services for Stevie Ray Vaughan. The Austin-born singer-songwriter got his start in L.A. when he and his brother John were asked to join the critically acclaimed band Spirit. After that, he and his brother went on to form their own band, the Staley Brothers, before Staley returned to Texas and dusted off his law degree in 1980. Back in Texas, he still continued music performing with the likes of Roy Orbison, Jefferson Starship, Emmy Lou Harris, and two European tours with John Cipollina and Nick Gravenitas of Quicksilver Messenger Service and Electric Flag, respectively. He even did a show with Rodney Dangerfield. And just as he was beginning to build his law practice, the record companies came calling. And in 1982, he released his first solo record, Staley's Comet. And the rest is history. Staley's latest, Somewhere in West Texas, is an Americana album where his Texas roots really shine. He stopped by the Life Minute studios to tell us all about it and perform a few songs from the new record. This is a Life Minute with Al Staley. Ah, the new album, Somewhere in West Texas. Uh, this all came about, started by accident. I kind of refer to it as my accidental album because even though I live most of the time in Houston, we have a place out by Big Bend National Park in a little town called Marathon, which is about 45 minutes from uh, Marfa, which everybody oh, seems to know about these days. Uh, and so we're out there for a month kind of during the pandemic era. and. I was thinking, you know, I have all these songs that uh, keep saying I'm going to record and I haven't done them. And I've heard there's one studio in Marfa, and I know two really good musicians there. Fran Christina, the drummer from the fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, who lives there with his wife, Julie Speed. She's a real successful painter. And then the guitar player named Scrappy Judd Newcomb. He played with Ian McLaughlin's Bump Band. He's played with... Uh, and produced Slade Cleves, who you may know of, who works up in this area a lot. Anyway, he's been around Austin a long time. And so I called him up and just said, hey, I want to get some songs down. And I've heard that there's a studio there. I said, yeah, yeah, we'll hook you up. Uh, and right after we're doing a session in a couple of days, Chris Marish is coming in from Austin to play bass. I know Chris and how great he is. He used to play with Eric Johnson and has played with Michael McDonald, he's played with all kinds of people. Uh, I said, well, look, uh, ask Chris if he wants to play bass, because even though I'm sort of known as a bass singing bass player from uh, Spirit, I don't want to play bass because I wrote these songs on acoustic guitar. And so Chris came to town. We had one rehearsal at Franz, just ran through some songs, went in the studio next day, recorded six basic tracks in one day. It was really the musicians who talked me into doing an album. They said, look, you've got some really good songs here. Come back with five or six more and you'll have an album. I said, okay, so I went back six or eight weeks later, five or six more songs, and we did some more. And then, of course, there were some overdubs after that. But it was pretty, if you've listened to any of it, you know, it's pretty direct, certainly not overproduced, but Scrappy uh, got, was so involved in it that I made him producer. He's the credited producer, and he'll be with me tonight at uh, the Rockwood. And anyway, you know, if we would have said we're going in to do an album, probably would have, wouldn't have turned out as, sound as much fun and 
uh, as it does, you know, because then it would have been serious, you know, but that's the story of my accidental album. You know, songs have come about in every way imaginable. We're driving down the highway, well, like that second song on the album, What's Wrong With You For Loving Me, that was, uh, this was some time ago, this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago, yeah, but I'd never recorded this song. And, uh, it was with my girlfriend at the time, and, uh, and I, th I thought I was in love with her, and I told her so, and she turned to me and said, what's, what's wrong with you? She was smiling, but I wasn't sure what... <laughs> any rate, uh, suffice it to say, uh, that didn't work out long term, but I thought, wow, what a good song title. What's wrong with you for loving me? And so that's, that's where that one came from. Sometimes it's a riff, sometimes it's a chord change, sometimes it's the title. They come about in all sorts of ways. And the songs on this album were not all written within a short period of time. Some of them, like, like that one, and Something Good Is Gonna Happen, the first song on the record, I wrote probably 1978 or nine. It's just been sitting around because I wasn't doing that kind of music at that time. And I, I just thought it was a nice little song, but I brought it out and everybody loved it. and. They're still loving that seems to be getting some of the most radio play and most love so and so we did a video of of that song the first video we did it out in marathon in the desert really it was on a ranch we had a buddy uh, a friend out there that uh, his family has a big ranch and i said we need a we need a road that looks like we're stranded out in the middle of the desert and we've broken down and he said, okay, well, we got a pasture, you can do that, but there's buffalo on it. Uh, and I said, he said, but I think we can keep them away from you. So we got free buffalo for that video. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. The first day, the, the buffalo were kind of curious and they were getting real close. And uh, so he had to shoo them away. But so we did that video out there. And then we did a second video out in Marathon called Mercy of the Moon. Actually, I'm gonna later, I guess, uh, do both those songs for you. That was more like a little film short, the way. And the director, I've got to mention, Charlie Schwan, is a young man who's 28. I've known him since he was born uh, because his grandfather was my drummer when I was in college at the University of Texas years ago. He graduated from University of Texas Film School. He he grew up with. Uh, Robert Rodriguez's kids and his father was and still is I think a stunt coordinator on films shot in uh, Texas and all that so he kind of grew up in the film film world and he did a film short uh, he had to do a film short to graduate and write it and he called me back then four or five years ago and said I've written this script and it takes place in the 70s I know you did a lot of music back then. Do you, maybe you've got something I can use. And I said, sure, uh, I'll let you into my Dropbox. You just roam around anything you find you can use. And so he ended up using everything in the film. Of course, it's just a 15, 20 minute film. It was stuff he found in the Dropbox. My songs and one of my son's songs, which is probably the best one. And that film got accepted in the Tribeca Film Festival and it won an award out in Crested Butte Film Festival. and. And so he did, he's now out in LA and uh, in fact, he, he, he's doing videos, but he's doing editing for Google and different things. And 
it's just extra gratifying the the grandson of my buddy from uh, Texas uh, at the University of Texas is involved in this second uh, coming of Al Staley that's going on right about now. Well, when I first got into it, it was right before the eighth grade and I was looking forward to going out for football. I, I grew up in Austin. It was very different back then than it is now. It was cool back then. It's, uh, some people think it was cooler back then. It's gotten uh, maybe a, somewhat of a victim of its uh, success. But I grew up in Austin and uh, played baseball, played golf as a kid, caddied, and I was out in the sun and apparently got a dehydrated kidney and doctor said, you can't go out for football. And I was kind of, can't do any strenuous sports till next summer. And I said, okay. So my cousin had a acoustic guitar and he came over and he taught me a, a Ricky Nelson song called Poor Little Fool. And I took some guitar lessons and and then going forward in high school I had a band, in college, undergraduate school I had a band, and that drummer that I talked about, Mike Hinton, I was in a band with two law students. I was undergraduate. I was supposed to go to med school. It was time for me to graduate, and they said, "No, you can't. You can't go to med school yet because you'll have to leave Austin." And we got one more year of law school, and we were making good money playing on weekends and they they already were married and had a kid and they said go to law school with us just one year and then you can do whatever you want but just until we graduate and Vietnam was going on so I couldn't if I didn't stay in school I'd get drafted so I started law school to keep a rock band together after the first year I realized I'd been tricked because if you finish the first year of law school you might as well finish because that's a killer year, so. That's how I got in music, and then after after law school, I took the bar, passed the bar, and, but promised myself I'd do music full-time and give it a try, so I went to L.A., got lucky at first and joined that band Spirit when two guys left. I, I joined as lead singer and bass player and wrote seven of the songs on an album called Feedback that came out in 72 and we headlined Carnegie Hall right down the street from here. It's been a long and winding road. You can't not say that Carnegie Hall was an experience. It was a kind of an extra experience because the summer between my second and third year of law school, I came up to New York for the summer and I worked at ASCAP and they bought two tickets to every Schaefer concert in the park that Ron Delsener was the producer of so that I could go out and sort of be the shake hands with the ASCAP members and kind of promote ASCAP. So I, I got to know Ron Delsener from doing that a little bit. Well then, of course, I left New York. About three years later, I was in Spirit and we were headlining Carnegie Hall and I would, the dressing room at Carnegie Hall is upstairs. I was coming down the stairs, had my bass on, heading toward the stage. I meet Ron Delsender coming up the stairs, and he does a double take and says, what are you doing here? I said, I'm working for you tonight. He said, I didn't know you were in this band. <laughs> so, so that's kind of a cool memory, the whole Carnegie Hall thing. We did a tour of Australia that was uh, including several dates in Tasmania, which was interesting. And uh, then when the band broke up, my brother and I did an album uh, as the Staheli Brothers for Epic Records. 
not much happened with it. And then he got a chance to go with Jojo Gunn when their guitar player left. And so then I decided to try to make my way as a solo artist. And in the meantime, uh, some people record some of my songs, including Keith Moon, the drummer from The Who. I was at a Jojo Gunn uh, recording session and the engineer, a guy named John Stronach, happened to mention that he was getting ready to start a Keith Moon album. And I said, really? I said, who's producing? He said, Mal Evans. I said, Mal Evans, the Beatles roadie, the guy that I saw in all the movies, the big guy with horn rim glasses? He said, yeah. I said, do they have all the songs? And he said, mm, I don't think so. I said, well, I might have something. He said, well, come to the record plant on Wednesday and I'll introduce you to Mal. So I go down and I, I play him one song, kind of shrugged. Mm, I don't think so. I played him a song called Crazy Like a Fox. He said, yeah, I could hear Keith doing that. We'll cut it on Friday. This was Wednesday, that was Friday. I thought, all right, this is the way song plugging should be. And I said, well, do you have the musicians lined up? And he said, no. And I said, well, of course, I know the song. But I said, also, my brother who plays guitar for Jojo Gunn, he knows the song. He said, oh, well, why don't we get all of Jojo Gunn to play? So I called the guys. Want to play on the Keith Moon session Friday? Yes, we do. So we get down there. And in addition to me, Jojo Gunn, and Keith Moon, so happened that they also called Jesse Ed Davis to play guitar. And sitting next to me, I was playing acoustic six string with Spencer Davis, an acoustic 12 string. That's the way we cut, they wanted to cut the track. Everybody playing at once. It wasn't a bunch of overdubs. And the solo on that album uh, was played by my brother. And so then I got out there with Keith and because he just heard the song the day before and had the lyrics written out and kind of cueing him where to come in. And he's got his headphones on and body of, bottle of Cavassier in his left hand, kind of reeling around. Uh, and I'm pointing to him where to come in. And he's in that Keith Moon way, not really singing so much as acting, you know. Stand back, she's crazy like a fox. And that fox got her eyes on you. But that's what you wanted Keith Moon to do, right? I've seen so many changes. Uh, like, I can remember when the, it was a big deal when the Sony Walkman came in, you know, I can, and I can remember when CDs came in and that was in digital at that time, recording studios weren't even sure they liked digital. In fact, uh, interestingly enough, a guy from Houston who had a studio had the first two Sony 24-track digital machines and guys like uh, Stevie Wonder and Neil Young and Frank Zappa were renting his machines to transfer their analog tapes and it took, took a while uh, for the U.S. to embrace digital. But the first time I ever even saw a CD was in Germany up at Deutsche Grabophone and they weren't even out yet. And because I had a solo album later in 82 released uh, on Polydor in, uh, in Europe. And this guy came up and said, see this? This is going to be the next big thing. And OK. And sure enough, it was uh, a year later. And that caused uh, some changes. Now the uh, 
Napster, you think about all of that. I think the record companies made a mistake uh, by shutting them down. Yes, they were copyright infringing, but everyone was getting tur turning each own, other own to music. All the kids, I had a son that time and I was seeing what they were doing. You know, he was, he and his friends were turning each other on to music and if they really liked the band, they'd go out and buy the, the CD. And so when you think about it, they were doing just what, let me say, Napster was doing, just what record companies were paying big money to promotion people to do, to get stuff on radio so people would hear it and turn their friends onto it. Why would you want to shut that down? You should have just cut a deal with them, monetized it, because as soon as they shut it down, everybody just went to, you know, these other pirate ways of doing it anyway, you know, so then, <clears throat> and, but the thing to always know is that copyright law and the business, or copyright law is always going to tag behind whatever the new platforms are, whatever the new, whether it's uh, CDs back then or streaming or whatever. And so that's what's going on now is there's been some, you know, there's a new copyright law, updated copyright law, upping the royalty rates, but there's still negotiations going on about all that. And it's always going to be playing catch up because there will be other new things. And just like what's going on with uh, the actors strike and I've noticed, well, we're, this is actors equity. This is a different thing, this building. Uh, well, you know, the clients always appreciate I mean, I take my past for granted, uh, but they appreciate the fact that I know what they're doing and what they're talking about when they're talking about being on the road or being in the studio or writing a song. Or So I think clients appreciate it because you can go to law school and or you can study contracts and all that. But if you have, you know, it's like any business, uh, you might know, you might have studied the business of an industry or like in your business, the TV industry, but you kind of have to get involved. And you probably started as a, I don't know, maybe an intern when you got out of college or whatever, and you have to get your feet wet and know, know it not just from a book way, but from the inside out. And so I think it's been a help, it's certainly been a help. and. My first client of note was Stevie Ray Vaughan when he got his deal, and so that was, uh, I negotiated his deal. And I'd known his brother Jimmy since he was 15 when he was in his first band. They used to play down in Austin, same time I was playing. Doyle Bramhall Sr. was his, uh, the drummer and singer, and now of course there's the other, this Doyle Bramhall the son has made quite a name for himself. And, so, it's, like I say, I've, I've got a lot of stories we could tell, but uh, we got only so much time, so feel free to focus me. I want to get out and play more to uh, promote this album. I'm really enjoying taking this music uh, to the people, seeing the great response. It's been very satisfying to see it be embraced by people who've never heard it, and many people didn't know who I was, and I'm just having fun doing it, and. 
want to keep doing it. Uh, maybe I can be like Tony Bennett. Maybe I can be doing it for another 20 years or something. I work two ways. I'm comfortable working uh, acoustically. I did several acoustic solo shows uh, on this little jaunt on the East Coast. And then just two days ago, I did a show with a band in Rhode Island, it, it, the great response. I come from a rock background, so even though this is uh, more of an Americana style album, there's, there's plenty of rocking going on too. So. When I first started out, it was Chuck Berry, it was Buddy Holly, it was uh, even some blues stuff like Jimmy Reed. But I've always liked a, a variety of music, and as long as it's good, uh, in fact, I love Brazilian music, and I always did. In fact, having said that, Evelyn Rubio, uh, who has worked with me, she's from Mexico, uh, and she's worked with me uh, for a number of years, not uh, on this jaunt out here, but she just recorded a song of mine that uh, called Because, you, because I Want To. That just, a video just came out last week. If you have a moment, check that out, because it's... I've got a version on Spotify of my my version of that, and this is her version, and it's sort of a Brazilian feel. In fact, I have three songs on that were inspired by my trips to Brazil that I refer to as my Bossa Gringo trilogy. Uh, and so, if you go to Spotify, you can hear those. But, oh, best life advice? Here's what I, here's what I tell musicians: like if or if I have someone, a young singer, songwriter, musician come to me and they say, uh, well, you know, I'm, I've done this CD or I've done this, and I'm, but I'm also not sure if I could, should continue in this or maybe uh, go in another direction that's not music related. Or I'll say, look, if you can do something else besides the music or acting or whatever it is you're interested in, and know that you're not ever going to regret it, then go, go do that other thing because this is hard. <laughs> you know, you got to love it, and if you you got to feel you have no choice. I, I felt I had no choice when I got out of law school. I knew if I didn't go try it full time, I'd always wonder what if I would have started some real bad band when I was 45 years old and embarrassed myself. Uh, so I, I got to go for it, you know, and. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll do something else. So I never had a midlife crisis. And so that's what I tell people to do. Well, I got two granddaughters <laughs> so, and a wonderful son. That's why I took about 20 years off from performing uh, when I became a father and concentrated on the law. And then he, once he went off to college, he went to Princeton. I'll, I'll go ahead and brag a little bit and played baseball and then got drafted by the Mariners. and. He's also a great musician and songwriter, but right now he's a full-time dad and uh, gave me a couple of granddaughters. They take up a little time. And like going out to, our, out to West Texas, our place is out there, that Big Bend area. And if you, you or your friends and fans have never been out that way, you really should. You don't really get it until you go out there. In fact, I'm from Texas. I've never been out there till. 15 years ago until when I met Wilma, uh, who was managing a hotel out there called The Gage, which is a destination hotel. And I used to think, okay, West Texas, you go to a desert, what, what, so what's the big deal?
you get out there, you get it. Uh, it's a high desert. It's uh, mountains, and it's, it's a great place. Okay, this is the first song on the album, Somewhere in West Texas. It's called Something Good is Gonna Happen.
as the dew begins to fall and your lips begin to call I'm in too deep now to refuse You say you love me and I know That tonight you Tomorrow comes too soon And you'll sing another tune And you'll find somebody new But tonight we're at the mercy of the moon She can take us where this rack stand us still turn us cold and make us swoon we're at the mercy of the moon more of this interview, visit our website, lifeminute.tv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.